John Corbin get his stuff on Spotify, Bandcamp, intro, outro. Thanks, John. I am Rohadi coming at you from Treaty 7 Lands in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. This is the last episode of season three. The next season, I think if I can swing it, it's going to be an author season. So new books that are coming out, I'm going to get some friends to come on. Um, Jonathan Puddle, I already have his interview done. I'll see if I can get the likes of Drew Hart, who just came up with one, and some others. We'll see. We'll see. Hey, someone uh, criticized me and said um, the podcast doesn't have enough Bible for something on Faith in the Fresh Vibe. And I don't know. I don't think it's a Bible theology podcast. It's a way to reimagine your faith in light of our changing world. I think the Christian faith has real implications and works within a post-Christian world that we're in here in Canada and parts of the United States. But hey, if you want Bible, uh, we're doing a six-month, just not quite six-month exercise, and we're going to launch it in January, I think, on decolonizing scripture. So it's not a teaching on how to decolonize, and I don't teach what decolonization is, but what we do is we embody the practices of decolonizing scripture. So that means decentering whiteness or decentering white Eurocentered theology, because most of our readings and understandings and theologies and doctrines all come out of a white Eurocentered lens. Is there another way to experience and understand your faith? The answer is unequivocally yes. So by decolonizing scripture, we are going to merely practice decolonization by doing our version of a Bible study, either weekly or every other week, starting in January. And that means looking at the scriptures through the lens of the original scriptures and then outside of the lens of our dominant worldview. We're going to try to exercise being faithful to Scripture, which is very evangelical in that sense, but also filter it through other ideas. So myself, as a, as a visible minority, I have a different way of perceiving the world, and what happens when we use our understanding, be it cultural, uh, be it experience, and use that as the lens through which we understand Scripture. Everybody, everybody has a lens through which they view Scripture. We do not approach it without a sense of hermeneutic, which is a fancy way to say opinion. You have a way you view and understand. You can't escape that. We're not blank sheets. We all have our bias Decolonizing, at least for me and my journey through decentering whiteness and unlearning some pieces, not all, but some pieces of my formation in the Christian faith, is rooted in land based theology. What I mean there is there's a callback into the land, which is pulling from indigenous spirituality. But a callback into the land is an attempt to say that the land doesn't forget. There are stories of the land. And there are ways of being that we can learn from our Indigenous folks on this land here, Treaty 7, where I'm situated, that is Alberta, Southern Alberta. There are things we can learn and approaches and understandings of our own scriptures through a different set of lenses. Some people may have grown up in an understanding that you don't use a lens onto scripture, 
Um, my understanding is simply you just can't escape that. Everyone has it. So you either acknowledge it or you don't. We all try to figure out a base understanding of the stories in the Bible. Hey, for example, pick up Drew Hartz, who will be a witness. He has a, an astounding chapter on the story of Barabbas. Hopefully I'll get him on a podcast to talk about it. But Barabbas is an important, it's a critical, in fact, story to describe who Jesus is and the ministry of Jesus and also the extent Jesus went to to exercise these theatrics in movement-making and justice-making. Barabbas is in all four gospel accounts, which is unusual, not even the Christmas, or it's not Christmas, the birth narrative. Not even the birth narrative is in all four, but Barabbas is. So have a read and discover how the text is contrasting two characters. Both of them are calling for salvation. Both of them believe deeply on rescuing and restoring Israel. Except one of them wants to see that vision come to fruition through violence. That's the extent, or that's as far as the vision goes. And the other chooses a nonviolent way to upend and subvert the common practices and understandings of the world, to usher in the kingdom of God in a space and place and time when heaven and earth collide and all the wrongs turn right. Hey, see, that's an N.T. Wright idea there. N.T. Wright has been very formative for me as a, as a theologian. Now, as I read more in the realm of Willie Jennings and James Cone, um, N.T. Wright has been has been hugely formative for me. So don't hear it as I'm incapable of entertaining ideas beyond uh, a European lens. That's deeply Anglican, anti right is. So we, in a sense, can pick and choose, and we do that in the context of community. So Cypher Church will, will do that. It'll jump through some exercises. For example, we're translating the Beatitudes, and we're translating them in different ways. Uh, I think the Beatitudes, so remember, before I get into that, remember every time you encounter scripture in an English format, any format, it's been translated. So that means the translators sat down together and they figured out what they wanted to change some of these words into, and that comes through bias. You're reading through a particular lens. Some translations are worse than others, for sure. Some aren't even translations. So when we look into the original text, we can read the Beatitudes culturally through an individualistic lens, which I think many Christians do today, or we can read it through what I believe the intent was of Jesus. There are individual pieces, but we consider it through the lens of community and the world. Suddenly, when the call is for righteousness, it's not the righteousness of my own heart, but we can translate that to justice. And it becomes the work that we do for justice in our world, but also beyond as well. There's an exercise there. It's a fun one. So maybe find yourself a dictionary, a Greek dictionary or a lexicon, and go through the Beatitudes, which are the key teachings of Jesus found in Matthew 5. Just go through them and, and discover different nuances. Let the text come alive and be applicable to you in this world where we're calling and screaming for justice. You'll find some examples on my Instagram, rohadi.nagasar. And um, I think that you'll find some sense of, of interest there. Some of it's not new. 
So in this episode, I want to trail off season three. We did a little intro to racism or anti-racism and the call for white folks predominantly and visible minorities who are just starting that journey towards anti-racism and the call for justice in the church. That was the previous episode. And in this part two, as we close off season three, we're going to lay the land a little bit more centering the POC voice. So marginalized Christians, marginalized people, actually, which is a bit of a call into a book that I'm going to publish next year in 2021, tentatively titled On Belonging. It's a reimagination of faith for Christians of color and other marginalized people, too. The stark reality for most of contemporary Christianity is that if you are not a white man or a white woman, you have a tough time fitting in. There is a level of assimilation that is demanded of you in order to belong. And that's not right. Seeking full inclusion into community is something we shouldn't have to struggle with. It shouldn't be hard to belong into church communities But what we have are churches that are more interested in you coming and adopting what the dominant culture is inside. Now, here's a callback to the land-based teaching and indigenous spirituality. The gospel calls us to incarnational being, which means that together through relationship, we come up with new ways of being together. What that means is a third way. So rather than the random immigrants who come to the all-white church assimilating into the dominant culture of that church. It means that together, by relationship, we learn from one another and we come up with a new way of being together as community, a new way, a new Christ-centered way, but a new way where everyone shares in belonging while retaining the pieces that make them who they are. You shouldn't have to give up ethnic identity or racialized identity in order to belong in places and spaces. That should never have to happen. So if anything, for all my marginalized people out there, what's up, shout out, don't give up on Jesus. There's space for you. There is a faith and there is a liberation and there is a belonging out there that fits you. And hopefully I'll be able to write a book on paving a pathway to what that might look like. In the meantime, let's talk about maybe the overarching pieces of what that is. The overarching pieces of we of that we encounter or experience, those moments of that ain't right. You know, the times that as a woman, that ain't right. There's some funny business going on. There's abuse happening. Those moments as a sexualized minority, either LGBTQ, gendered minority. There are times where as a gay person, you do not have belonging in conservative churches, period, unless you somehow live up to this higher standard of being. That's not right. Many of you know that awkward feeling. Many of you know what it means to be a racialized minority and having to assimilate to dominant culture. Now, a smart white person or a smart Alec might chime in and say, well, like white people aren't welcome in Chinese churches, which isn't true, uh, but it is true in the sense that ethnic churches are very ethnic. In fact, other than, or, or rather, including the example of the black church and, of course, Orthodox traditions before it, 
these are spaces where belonging happens because minorities, be it Chinese, Black, were never permitted full belonging in white churches to begin with. They exist because belonging doesn't exist in mainstream. So just because there are ethnic churches, they exist because that's the only place where many people can find belonging. Makes sense. They exist because they needed to create space in places where the church rejected them. That's history. All along is the reality that we deserve liberation. We deserve what God has in store for us, and that is the fullness of life, the life now and the life to come. And that is a life that we can belong and exist in our own skin. That takes some work. That takes some work of having some confidence in who you are. Or the question that a lot of white people would ask, hey, so what are you? If it's not clear, then you're going to get that question a lot more. For me, it's not that clear because is he brown? Is he Asian? Well, I'm a mix of both. I'm a mix of all sorts of things. And so entertaining this question of what are you, which is okay to ask in the context of relationship, but really when it comes out of the blue, it's a measure of whether you're safe or not, whether you fall into the safe category of minority or the unsafe category of minority. Like right now, the unsafe categories would probably be some version of Muslim or Arab. We also have the ingrained assumptions surrounding anti-blackness. Once we know who we are and we can confront the realities that we have faced and the, the sad realities of, of the work to assimilate in order to belong, uh, we can then figure out and realize that there are systems at play. It's not always evident. Some of us are, are born with this notion that racism is, is in our blood, or at least the wounds of racism are in our blood. We almost inherit this notion. So black folks, indigenous folks inherit this notion that society was built against you, which is true. Others like Asians and um, maybe some Latin folks, there is an awareness in Latin within the Canadian context. There's an awareness that needs to be developed. There's a wokeness, as it were, to be connected into the systems that keep us at bay. Naming those systems of white supremacy, naming whose gaze gets to determine the standards of assimilation is important because that challenges our faith. That challenges our assumptions of our faith. It challenges what we believe, who formed them, and why do we believe them? And should we hang on to them? Getting a better sense of our own skin and also the systems at play, making sense of racism, of power, of prejudice understanding our histories surrounding doctrine of discovery or the histories connected to your own body, that's ethnicity. So for me, there is a history around anti-Chinese or anti-Asian racism. There's a history of internment. There's a history of domestic servitude and trafficking. These are all different intersections that have made me who I am as a immigrant into this land. When we can look at systems beyond, we also have to confront the systems that are within. The church is racist. The white church is racist. It is a racist church. It has centered white supremacy for far too long. It has started in the church. So white supremacy and anti-blackness is something that is rooted in the Catholic church and quickly adopted by all others. The church is complicit in residential schools, in slavery, 
Yes, racism in the church needs to be dismantled. But as, once again, I keep going back to this metaphor that Bernadette shared in the baking of the cake. Churches today, denominations, no matter how old they are ones, other than some Orthodox traditions and the Black church tradition, churches are racist at the core. That cake has already been baked. And although there is a call and push towards justice, although there are a lot of white tears about the injustices that have happened within denominations, some don't care. I mean, the Southern Baptist Convention exists because the Baptists in the South wanted to keep slaves. They're still fighting through some legacies of racism, clearly, systemic and individual. We need to realize that as people of color, the church, the contemporary church as it stands right now, those same churches where all the leaders are white, all the denominational leaders are white, they have never had people of color at any key leadership position. It's always white and male, usually. Churches and um, what's the songs that we sing, so all the worship that we sing, all written by white people. We can think of traditions in what we've learned in theologies, who have written those. I mean, there's just a branch of, of existence out there that doesn't require us to center white voices and white people. It's not to say that there isn't important things to be learned in that space, but it is to say that as marginalized people, you can belong outside of these spaces. You don't need to leave Jesus or leave the church in order to find belonging. It might be harder it's hard to find a multi-ethnic church that's not white-led. Hey, how about that? I can hear the amens from the back row. It's hard to find a multi-ethnic church with multi-ethnic leadership. I mean, Cypher Church is one of them because I'm leading it, but we're really tiny, so I'm not sure if we count, other than we are attempting, in our small, imperfect way, a lot of these different things, of reimagining what it means to have faith in our modern world. It works. Jesus works. I believe that. I must. I must cling to that hope. I haven't found one, a hope that is, that's better. But I don't believe that that hope is going to transform or unravel within the existing institution. I really don't. That's why Decolonizing Christianity Canada exists. It's just this grassroots attempt at figuring out what it might mean to have safe space, but also leadership from POCs, Black, Indigenous, and persons of color, and to create our own thing. We have to create our own thing and to have our confidence and our preparedness to do and be okay without having the permission of white dad in the church to go and be and do our own things in new ways. When we have a good sense of who we are, we know who we are and who God says we are. When we can go through and start building some new foundations by decolonizing our faith and our theology when we realize that we have our own work to do to dismantle white supremacy in our own theology and our own thinking, we can start to imagine these places and spaces of belonging that are open to all. That sounds like early church kind of stuff. Radical inclusion is defined, is one of the key definitions of that early church. For 300 years, they figured it out, and then ultimately power and patriarchy took over. But there are pathways to freedom. Some of it might take creating our own thing. I mean, that might be daunting for you if you're not someone who uh, is an entrepreneur and just does things. Uh, you would rather come alongside something that's already unfolding. And I get that. I hear you. 
some of us will be creating the new thing and some of us will need some support as we create that new thing. So where you exist will be dependent on where you're at in life and also what gifts you have to offer into the whole. But the attempt is what counts. I think we need to walk out in faith to try these new expressions and these attempts of community to reimagine what it means to belong. Try them. See how long they last. Get some good insight from people who have gone before you because these aren't exactly new ideas. So you can find some insight rather than lone rangering it. Don't do that. Don't be the lone ranger. You don't get a check in the mail to say you made it because you did it all by yourself. That's a white supremacy thing. You can find community and partnerships and collaborations all along. When you can go down the road of figuring out what it means to create and be seen in community, you realize that that's just it. Community is a space where you want to be seen, but also you need to work to see others. Ultimately, we're in a space where we can see one another in community, in Christ-centered community, where we understand our liberation is reliant on our belonging. And when we can find that safe place where we can belong in our own skin, oh, I mean, that's it, hey? That's the place where we can reignite our personhood, our faith, our spirituality, when we can find a place where we can dig deep into our personal identity in safety, where we can confront the trauma of the past, where we can walk away from unhealthy community, where we can stand in a place where our calls for justice don't go unanswered. I think this is the exact place that God wants us to be, because this place sounds like freedom. And that works. God wants us to be free, free from the pain, free from the disconnect of all the things that make us less human, free from the loss, free from the trauma, the despair, the hurt, the anger, the loneliness, the marginalization, the injustice, free. Not to merely survive, but to thrive in the fullness of life. No doubt it's easier to walk away from past hurts and skepticism, but man, give me some of that fullness of life. It doesn't mean that we live alone, ironically. So it's like you can walk away, but freedom doesn't mean free to just be by yourself. It's, it's actually a freedom tied to belonging and liberation, to be seen fully in community for the gifts and the things that I bring in my own skin. Catch a glimpse of that life. I encourage you to find that, even if it's small, small counts, and taste a piece of heaven in our midst. That's what we pray for, right? That kingdom come on earth, on earth, right now. We call for thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We want to see injustice tipped. We want to see equity. We want to see empathy. We want to see belonging. And ultimately, we want to have a love that knows no bounds, the kind of Christ-like love that draws us into a space that goes to the very end, that goes to a place where no one else will go, and then a love that will take one step more. I want that community. I hope you find it. I hope you connect in. hope you can find some pieces here that encourage you along the way some pieces on this podcast, some pieces connected to Cypher Church or DCC. Would you connect in? 
Social media links will be in the show notes. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter mostly. I have a Facebook page, but you know, it's Facebook. We don't like them. I guess Instagram's the same. I guess it's all the same. Connect in, say hi. If you can support this podcast, that would be great as well. Find my books coming out. Sign up for that newsletter. The newsletter gets you the free anti-racism book. There's hope out there, friends. Cling to it, work towards it, and let's hear for some new voices that will reimagine what it means to have some faith, what it means to be Christ followers in this age and the age to come. Thank you.